I don't know about you, but there are times when I just want to be by myself, just be left alone, uh, which is difficult when you're a ventriloquist, never really quite alone. But uh, there's a sense in which the passage of Scripture that we're going to read today, that's what Jesus wanted. He wanted to be uh, alone so that he could wrestle with his own thoughts and pray to his Father. Part of that was because this, this passage that we'll read is in Matthew 14, and earlier on in the chapter of Matthew 14, John the Baptist had been put to death. He had been beheaded. And so Jesus realized that John the Baptist was the prophet of the Lamb of God, and to the extent that John the Baptist was put to death by the political leaders of the day, he was also going to be put to death by the political leaders of the day. And... He wants to get away from all of those things, and we'll see it this happening in the passage. As we look at Matthew chapter 14, starting in verse 13, this is what happens. Now, when Jesus heard about John, that's John the Baptist who had been killed, he withdrew from there in a boat to a secluded place by himself. And when the people heard of this, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when he went ashore, he saw a large crowd and felt compassion for them. And healed their sick. And when it was evening, the disciples said to him, This place is desolate, and the hour is already late, so send the crowds away that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said to them, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, We only have here five loaves and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. And ordering the people to sit down on the grass, he took the five loaves and the two fish. Looking toward heaven, he blessed the food, and breaking the loaves, he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they picked up what was left over of the broken pieces, twelve full baskets. And there were about 5,000 men who ate besides women and children. You see this very clearly at the beginning of this text that Jesus just wants to be by himself. He does several things to try to get away from everybody. In the 14th, 13th verse, he, he withdraws from the people. He gets into a boat, and he wants to go to a secluded place by himself. And yet what happens is that these people follow him around the lake. They follow the boat, and when he gets out, there's a gigantic crowd of people there. And you'll notice in verse 14, it says that when Jesus went ashore, he saw this large crowd and he felt compassion. Compassion is really the key word to this, this passage. It's really the key word to the whole ministry of Jesus. This word for compassion that's used here in the Greek New Testament is only used in the synoptic gospels. That's, it is, it only occurs in Matthew and Mark and Luke. It occurs five times in Matthew, four times in Mark, and three times in Luke. And of those times that it occurs, it only occurs either being used about Jesus as it is here, Jesus had compassion on them, or it's used of characters in Jesus' parables, like the, the father of the prodigal son had compassion on his son, or the, the, uh, the good Samaritan had compassion on the man who was beaten up. The, those are the, the, the kind of ways that we see this word compassion being used. It's a, it's a word that comes from, in, in earlier Greek, in classical Greek, it was a word that meant to, to show that which was on the inside of you, that was to show real, true compassion, not just to talk about it, but to show real, true compassion. And so what I want us to realize from this piece of Scripture today is that every one of us, every one of us ought to have compassion 
And yet that compassion is available only through Jesus. And so if we are trying to be people of compassion, but we are not really listening to what Jesus has to say, then we will never really be the people of compassion that we should be. There are three things that that this compassion does in the life of Jesus in this passage. Three things that Matthew wants us to realize that the, the compassion of the Lord Jesus Christ, the way that it changes everything. And the first one is that compassion changes direction. You'll notice in verse 14, Jesus wants to go and be by himself. And yet, Despite the fact that he wants to go and be by himself, he, despite the fact that he's withdrawn, despite the fact that all of that, this large, large crowd gathers around him. And so we see that the preferred, the preferred direction of Jesus was to be by himself. He wanted to be alone. Uh, those of you that are introverts, you know that if you don't get some time by yourself, you, your head explodes. It's just an awful thing. Uh, being an introvert myself, you know, I, I'd rather just sit in my office and read books, and I come out to teach every once in a while, and other than that, just leave me alone. It's, it's a mental problem, of course. <laughs> no surprise there, but uh, there's a news flash. A guy that plays with dolls has a mental problem. <laughs> But it's that, you know, the hardest thing I used to do, I preached at Coral Ridge right after Dr. Kennedy died. I preached there for a little while, like a couple, two and a half years or something like that. And the hardest thing was for me to go to the, the, like the fellowship hall after the service where there would be all these people, just hundreds of people all wanting to say this and that and tell you where you'd done something wrong and, you know, you just get to the point, I got to the point where I, it was the... It was like torture for me. I, I had to go there, but it was not anything that I enjoyed. I just, I was fine studying for the message. I was fine sharing the message, but I wasn't that fine making small talk. I was just not, you know, it just wasn't my sort of thing. I would much rather have been just sitting by myself reading a book, as you might have seen me as you came in. That's why I carry my iPad now, because I can always say, don't bother me, I'm reading a book. It's, it's the greatest thing. My wife, will, some days when I don't have class, my wife will go to work, and she'll come back and say, come back home at the end of the day and say, have you been sitting there all that time reading that book? And I'll say, no, I checked the mail to see if anything came from Amazon. So, you know, it's, I, I, I got out, at least. Uh, there was something. There's, there's a sense, though, in which e- even if you're not an introvert, there are times when you need to be by yourself to sort of sort through all of the things that are going on. And Jesus, here in this passage, he goes to try to be by himself. Now, realize, and I realize that this creates for us some uh, difficulties, because we, we realize that Jesus is fully God and fully man, and so we ask ourselves, if, if Jesus is fully God, didn't he know that the crowd was going to meet him on the other side? And if he didn't really want to see him, why didn't he go a different way? And if he really wanted to be by himself, why wouldn't he have gone in, out, not gone on a boat? There are all those kinds of mysterious questions about the way that the Son of God, in, God incarnate himself, Jesus Christ, the way that that all works out. And I don't plan to have the, don't, don't pretend to have the answer for that. But what I do know is what the text tells us. And the text tells us was that 
the preferred direction was to be alone. That's what Jesus wanted. But the proper direction was to be surrounded. And he he realized as these people were surrounding him that he needed to change the direction that he was going, that he was not going to be able to be by himself at that point. And he did change his direction as a result of his compassion for the crowd. And all of us ought to realize that if we have the compassion of Jesus Christ, we will do some things that are difficult for us. We will sometimes do things that, that are not all that easy for us or that are not what we would have preferred to do. And yet we do them because that's what God has called us to do. And so this compassion changed the direction of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the compassion that we have ought to change the direction of our own lives and cause us to care about other people. There's a second thing that compassion changes in this passage, and you'll see it in the latter part of the 14th verse. Compassion not only changes direction, Jesus goes from wanting to be by himself to being surrounded, but compassion also changes desire. And the, the essence of, that, of the passage here is that Jesus wanted to recharge. That was his desire. He wanted to recharge. And there's nothing wrong with that, certainly. Nothing wrong with going apart to be by yourself. There are numerous passages in the Gospels where Jesus goes apart either to pray or to be by himself or to rest, being fully man like any of us. He needed to rest just like any of us needed to rest. He needed to eat just like any of us needed to eat, needed to sleep just like any of us needed need to sleep. But it had to be at the right time. And so, while Jesus' desire was to recharge, the demand was to heal and not to recharge. What happened was these people gathered around him and they were all saying, we have sick people here. We need you to heal them. Now, being sick in the first century was significantly different from being sick today. There were no ambulance, no hospital, no doctor, no medical school, no insurance, nothing like that. So if you were sick in the first century, particularly if you were badly sick, you were in many ways basically just hopeless. There was nothing that could be done for you. If you were lame or crippled, there was nothing that could be done. If you were blind, you were reduced many times to being a beggar because there was... If you didn't have family, there was very little way for you to make a living. And it was a terrible, terrible thing, you see, to be handicapped in the first century world because there's no government programs to, to help you, no government programs to give you money so that you had enough to eat or, or that, so that you had shelter or clothing. There was nothing like that. So when a person, for example, was blind in the, in the first century, And people went blind for a variety of reasons. Uh, People went blind from like being bitten by a spider or an insect or sometimes from uh, drinking bad alcohol, which I think where the term blind drunk comes from, I I, I think, because people did go blind both in the first century and in West Virginia from drinking bad alcohol. And uh, But sometimes people would go blind because they'd uh, they'd been in warriors or something like that. One interesting thing that I did find was that nowhere in all the Second Temple literature that I've read, nowhere did I find 
a kid that went blind because he was running with a stick. And, you know, I would have expected that from some Jewish mother to say, do not run with that stick, as much as we've been warned about that. I said that once at Coal Ridge and after the service in the fellowship hall. Somebody had to come up to me and go, I had a friend that put their eye out with a stick. You know, like, I caused it, I, you know. I don't know the kid. I, I'm not the one who gave him the stick. I, you know, I was just making an observation. I, so I didn't say that. I just said, I'm sorry, because my wife was there. <laughs> and she could hurt me in my sleep. Here we see these people bringing these desperately ill people to Jesus, and there's just there's nothing they, that can be done for them. They're just, they are with that absolutely and totally as hopeless as a person could be. And then they hear about this guy that actually causes blind people to see and actually causes lame people to walk, actually causes leprous people to be clean, and they... The families, of course, think this is a magnificent thing. And so when this man who causes the blind to see and the lame to walk and the lepers to be clean, they bring them to Jesus for him to heal them. That's why they're there. That's why Jesus is there. And that's what compassion is really about. It changes our desires because other than the gospel, without the gospel, we are absolutely broken just like the sick of the first century, and there's nothing in the world that we can do about it. We cannot heal ourselves. It's the greatest lesson that anyone in the world can ever learn is that you're, you have a serious problem and you can't heal yourself. You've got to have somebody else to help you. When you realize that you have that kind of a problem and that you need somebody else to help you, it's at that point that the grace of Jesus Christ makes sense. It's at that point when all of a sudden you realize just how, how bad we are, all of us, how badly broken we are, and yet how gracious the Lord is in bringing us back together and changing our lives, giving us grace. And that's what, what happened here. Jesus is, is healing all of these people. He's making their lives different. He's changing them. There are all kinds of things that are, that are happening. And it's because the desire has changed from Jesus wanting to, to recharge himself, but needing to heal these people. And so we realize that compassion changes direction. Jesus was going one way, and then he needed to go another way because of the people. We realize that it changes desire. His desire was to be by himself, and yet he needed to be surrounded by all these people. And the third thing that we realize in this passage is that compassion changes demands. You'll notice a couple of demands that are made uh, by the disciples and by Jesus in the 15th and the 16th verses. In the 15th verses, the disciples realize that there's a, they have a problem. There are thousands and thousands of people surrounding them, probably maybe 15,000. We don't know. There were 5,000 men, and there were women, and there were children, so there were a lot of people. And the disciples realize that they didn't come prepared to stay there all day, and they realize that these people are going to need to eat. And so they, 
they ration, uh, rationalize among themselves and say, well, what we really need to do is send them away to all these different fishing villages that are in this area. Each village probably had, you know, a few thousand people. And they can go there and... Because in the Middle East, hospitality is such a, particularly in the first century, hospitality was such an important thing. You could go to a town where you didn't know anyone and have dinner with a family and maybe even stay there. It was, it was the way that it worked. And they, so the disciples want to send these people away to these different fishing villages so that they'll either go to their own homes to eat or go to someone else's home to eat. And Jesus, Jesus though, after they make that demand, he says to them in verse 16, Jesus says to them, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. The you in that passage in the Greek text, it's, it's emphatic. Jesus is saying you, absolutely you, you are the ones that need to go and give them something to eat. And they say, that's nice, but we only have five loaves and two fish. Bread and fish was a staple diet of Second Temple Judaism. Fish was relatively inexpensive, inexpensive or free if you fished for it yourself, and bread was, was relatively cheaply made. And so, as I, you may remember before, I've told you that there, there really wasn't a middle class in Second Temple Judaism. There was a gigantic class of poor people and a small class of rich people. The rich people had whatever they wanted. The poor people basically had enough food to last them for that day. That was the way it worked. That's why we pray in the Lord's Prayer, give us uh, this day our daily bread, because you, you got enough for the day. That was all you had. And the, the, Jesus says to them, you, you're going to give them all this fish and bread. And they say, well, that's fine, but we only have a little tiny bit. And an amazing thing happens. Just an incredible thing happens. Jesus says in the 19th verse, he orders the people to sit down on the grass. And this ordering of the people to sit down on the grass in the text is, it's, it's, it's essentially they're sitting down to a banquet. This word for sitting down is they're sitting down to a banquet out here in the grass in the midst of nothing when there, where there is virtually no food. They're sitting down there in the midst of that banquet, and the people, through the disciples, are fed. Amazing miracle that happens there. Perhaps the best-known miracle of Jesus, the one miracle that Jesus does that is in all four of the Gospels is this feeding of the 5,000. All of the other miracles, healing of blind people, different, different things, they're all in maybe the Matthew and Mark, but not in John, or in John, but not in, in Luke. They're all, none of them are in the four, all four of the Gospels this miracle is. And I think that one of the reasons is this is such an amazing thing. And the second is that the writers mean to draw us back into the Hebrew Bible. They mean to draw us back into the Psalms. And in the Psalms, Psalm seventy-eight nineteen says this, it says, God spreads out a table in the wilderness. And so there's a sense in which that's what Jesus is doing there that day. As a result of his compassion, he has healed all these people, and now he's spreading out a table for them in the wilderness out of nothing. And it's amazing. And their lives are changed forever. Whether they realize it or not, they have been fed by the great God of the universe. The disciples' lives are changed forever because they realize, even if, even if the rest of the people don't, they realize that there wasn't enough food and all of a sudden 
this man gave them enough food. It's an amazing thing that happens there. And this picture of the banquet is a picture of the messianic banquet, the banquet that the kingdom of God, members of the kingdom of God will all be drawn together one day, and we will all gather and sit at table with the Lord Jesus Christ Himself, and He will feed us. He will indeed spread out a a table for us in the wilderness. That's an amazing thing. And so, Matthew wants us all to have compassion on people that desperately need it, on people that are broken and need help. Matthew wants us to have that kind of compassion. I was uh, reading yesterday uh, a book of uh, speeches, and I ran across President Ronald Reagan's uh, first inaugural address. And in it, uh, President Reagan tells this story about one of the founding fathers, Dr. Joseph Warren. And Dr. Joseph Warren helped in uh, making of the documents to found this country and, and, and making of the Declaration of Independence. And Joseph Warren said this in a speech to his fellow Americans, his new countrymen. He said, You are to decide the important questions upon which rests happiness and liberty and millions of yet unborn. Act worthy of yourselves. You see, the problem is that we can't act worthy of ourselves because we're broken. But there is someone who can help us to act worthy. There's, there are none of us who sit here today who can do the right thing by themselves. But we can all call upon the Lord Jesus Christ and He will help us to do the right thing, to have the compassion that we ought to have. One of my favorite movies in the world is The Prince's Bride. You know, it's a great intellectual film. Uh, I love that movie. The wedding scene alone is just the greatest. If you haven't watched it, you got to go watch it. It's, it's a great film. And it's the story of this sort of princess whose name is Buttercup. And at the beginning of the movie, there's a farm boy, and he's not called by his name. His name is Wesley, but he's not called by his name at the beginning of the movie. He, and, and Buttercup orders the farm boy around. She just says, farm boy, get me water. Farm boy, get me food. And all, all this, she is clearly thinking of herself as, as in a much higher station than he is. And farm boy always answers with this line that is a through line all the way through the movie from the very beginning of the movie all the way through it until the the end, you'll see this line and you'll hear it being used again and again. And the line is that that Wesley uses to, to answer. He says, as you wish. And at the end of the movie, when Peter Falk is leaving, the little kid asks him to read, come back tomorrow and read. And he says, as you wish. And I think there's this there's a sense in which genuine godly compassion will fill our lives when we come to know Jesus Christ and ask for it. And it's at that day that we will say, not as I wish, God, but as you wish. And so let it be true of, of all of you 
that when God asks you to change your direction, that you are compassionate and willing to do so. That when God leads you to change your desires, you are compassionate upon others and willing to do so. When God places on you difficult demands, let us all try to answer as you wish, my Lord, for that is really and truly a happy ending. Let's pray.